Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to uh, Sacrificial Succession, Episode 9, Advanced Notice. Paul, welcome back. I'm so enjoying Thanks, these man. times with you, and I'm learning a lot, and no doubt you are too. Oh, uh, me too. You know, it says that um, when you, you're, you know, you, you're a lecturer, um, you know, when you, when you need to teach something or share something with others, I think you often learn more yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then particularly when you've got to mark their assignments, <laughs> you have to know what you're talking about, uh, which, is, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, Paul, today's topic is advanced notice. And it's what's fascinating to me. And you use the scripture here, Matthew 16, 21. Jesus constantly told his disciples, this is what's going to happen. But they may not have grasped that that actually was what was going to happen in the future. Uh- Probably not. I don't think they grasp perhaps the true implications of it, but I think they had some idea because if you look at the scenarios in this passage and others where they started to have that discussion, you know, well, who's the greatest? Yes. That's nearly always in the context of starting to think, you know, if so-and-so drops off their perch or leaves, or uh, is no longer able to run things, uh, it might be just about my turn to do something. And so there's a bit of speculation. Jesus gets on top of it pretty quick. But I think at least in that sense, they they were starting to think about, hmm, okay, who could it be? Who's the greatest here? And I think this is you know, as I'm getting older, <laughs> like you look back, you know, perhaps when you first started working in somewhere, you think, okay, things are in place and they're going to be in place. You may think forever in a day, but the more you go on, the more they realize that different people only last certain time periods in positions. And there's always going to be a transition at some stage. Yeah. That, that, that's the reality. And I mean, uh, we don't always know how long you're going to last you know, like I, sh- I think I shared with you um, last week. I-, I can't remember whether it was in the podcast or not. But um, the one one of the people that we know who leads an orphanage in Africa, he, he just he died of COVID within sort of weeks of getting sick. They had no one prepared to replace him, and so now they're running around, literally, trying to find someone to take over. Yes. I know I, uh, uh, one of my good business friends um, has been diagnosed with leukemia and we finally got to see him after being in three weeks on the hospital on Saturday night. And I said, mate, we need to have a very tough conversation about what's your plans for the business. And it, like, he was like, well, <laughs> I don't have plans. I'm thinking, you know, his diagnosis is not good. He's got seven staff. Uh, you know, that's a lot of upheaval for a lot of people and some organisations are much bigger than that um, as well. So it, it has, like, I was just, I was very mindful of the conversations you and I have been having and I think I need to have a conversation with him about what his plans are in this area yeah. because he didn't have any. Yeah, and I mean, we, we do sometimes think, well, you know, a large organisation, surely they can absorb any of these challenges but the reality is you know we talked about a couple of large organizations in our last podcast um uh 
<laughs> the the um, Nelson Mandela, he, he led a nation and we can see that there's a lot of conflict and, and um, strife in that country through its current leadership and previous. Yeah. yeah. So it's not always a small, you know, small business. No. Uh, it in some ways perhaps is more agile, I think. You know, a yeah. large business, another one that we just touched on very briefly was, you know, Fannie Mae in the US. Yeah a financial uh, institution underwritten by the government topples over and perhaps acted as one of the catalysts for the um, global financial crisis. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Paul, you've got a saying here that's really struck me. It says expectation leads to preparation. Expectation leads to preparation. What a great quote. Um, yeah, that was one of our trustees, um, uh, Matt. He, um, he, he, he said that to us when he first came on as a trustee, and it's always stuck with me. Um, it's what you expect. If you don't expect anything, you don't tend to think about it or prepare for it. Here's part of the problem is that people get very sensitive when you start talking about succession. Like, because it's, it, is it... <gasps> Can it be seen as a personal attack on, well, aren't I good enough as a leader to keep going with this thing? Yeah, I think so. And and sometimes, uh, or even often, um, certainly not in Matthew 20, the, the, the disciples seem to feel quite uh, confident, at least the sons of Zebedee, about, you know, being ready to replace uh, Jesus. But in many places where we work, I think partly because they're very hard places and the, the, the successes that we're looking at are, you know, very much um, inexperienced. Often they've been traumatized. So it's, it's a difficult situation. But I think equally, they don't feel ready. Yeah. So it's sometimes it's a two-way street. Or we look in the West at some of the statistics that we've already talked through where more than 90% of young people in a job don't plan to stay in that job for more than a couple of years before they move on. That wouldn't give me, as a predecessor, too much faith in my younger um, generation workforce that they're actually going to stick around long enough for me to be able to invest in them. So I often see it as a two-way street. And then they, of course, look the other way, the younger generation, and you look at statistics like the Barna Group where the vast majority of, say, pastors in the US and in Australia are well past the middle-aged mark, and yet they've not made any preparation and actually don't have any plans to hand over until they have to or leave. Yes. So as a young person a younger generation person, which I'm not, <laughs> but um, representing them, I think they would also have the sense, well, really, should I be committed here? Because the chances of me uh, being given an opportunity are pretty limited or slim. Well, and is it because a younger generation, like I know I've had these discussions with my 18-year-old son saying, Dad, I don't think I could be employed by anybody. I mean, he is at the moment at Bunnings, but like in terms of, what he considers his major profession. I think he, he thinks that my role is to be the boss. And, and I, I'm seeing that in a, well, may, 
I don't know whether that's because I lecture entrepreneurs and their mindset is that I am the boss. So I'm dealing with that every day, but, but I'm, we're seeing that more and more across the board. I think. I think that, you know, a lot of this is, is sort of an internal expectation that many young people have that, you know, there's the desire for greatness and they see examples of this, you know, all over social media, whether sort of real or not, um, as something to aspire to. But it doesn't really um, centre on stickability and sustainability and service and sacrifice, which are the characters and qualities that we need to see in the next generation as well. So you, you raise the word trust here which i think is is very key too isn't it that there's there's got to be trust of the um from leadership to those under them but also vice versa on both sides there does need to be trust and i think that that's another one of the problems or challenges that the sort of social media world has brought upon us um I grew up in a non-Western culture and the culture that I grew up with, I was just having a discussion with my mum the other day about this is nobody believes what you say, even your friends, because it's not a culture based on trust. Uh, It's not that people don't like you. It's not that people even don't love you. It's that trust is not a currency in that culture. So what I tell you and you tell me, most of the time my thinking is going to be, yeah, maybe that's true, but probably not, or if it is, it won't be fully true. The Western, our Western society in particular, the strength of it is, (coughs) excuse me, it's built on trust. Uh, That's why we have the systems that we have, the business structures that we have everything as our founder which who you've met lord edmiston says everything is based on trust within our uh, westminster judeo christian system or even in the u.s system it's built on trust that's fundamental to us being able to do business well and the same thing goes here it's the relationship that you need to have between predecessor and successor Um, that is absolutely critical for you to be able to build the trust that you have in someone who's receiving the mantle of leadership as equally as it is to the one who's handing it over. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, and if that trust is broken, it's just devastating. Yeah. Well, well, broken implies that there, that there's been a connection previously Um, The the other factor sometimes is that trust is never developed in the first place because there's not enough of a relationship between the two parties. Uh, You know, we talked in one of our sessions about, you know, what's called um, being a true successor. Well, a true successor is all about the relationship between predecessor and successor. Without it, there's no true succession. And that was one of the great things that Jesus had. He did have a relationship with the 12. He, he spent did. a lot of time with them, walked with them, ate with them, slept with them, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So 
Paul, one of the main things that you raise here in advance notice is um, to actually give advance notice. Tell people <laughs> that transition is going to happen. Yeah, we and you know we don't we don't do this enough. We don't have this conversation enough. Um, recently, I was having this conversation with a pastor because I was interested what his plans for the future were. Yeah. Um, he couldn't really tell me. He said, oh, I haven't sort of really thought of it yeah. that way before. I mean, I have, a, I have a plan in mind of where I see myself potentially, but not in terms of someone potentially taking over from me and who that might be. <clears throat> and yet this is the key to what advance notice is all about. Um, it's actually... Uh, expecting that a transition and succession will occur. Um, it's preparing people to do that. And then in this particular case, it's actually providing that advanced notice in a real systematic way that is communicated across time to the different people who need to know at different times, right through to the practicalities of transferring over um, management and administration and titles and uh, all the things that go with that, including you know, simple things, but very important things like bank account, <laughs> changing the names on bank accounts. They're all factors that don't just happen. No. All must be planned and a plan must be put into place. See, Paul, if you take a local church context on this, so often the pastors are appointed by the board and then they're appointed for maybe a term, three years, seven years. I know some some churches have an automatic, you know, they're only going to be appointed for seven years when the salvos only used to be two, you know, and then they'd move them on. But is part of that, that their succession is out of their hands, like it's somebody else's responsibility. Um, like, you know, the church always has a selection committee to select a new pastor or those kind of things. So so their mindset is that we need to find somebody else maybe who's outside the organisation rather than train somebody up within the organisation. Yeah, and I think, I think that tends to be the sort of corporate, multinational... Um, corporation view of the world, I, I'd have to say that is starting to become an old world view. Yeah. Even multinational corporations now recognise that, uh, you know, especially in, in the current pandemic, you've got to have people in country who can do the job because you may not be able to shuttle people between countries um, and the reality is that's even happening here in Australia within the country. Yeah. So this, and also the expectation, well, we'll get, we'll get someone, you know, as in we'll advertise and we'll get someone. Um, yeah, it's another option. But if you look at the statistics and you look at the realities of the world that we currently live in, not developing people in-house and in-person uh, even the management literature will tell you that that is not a smart option 
long term. And it's not healthy for us either, because if you're an entrepreneurial person who started your, your own company or you run a company, you have so much to contribute into someone's life that they will never learn through, sorry, Wes, <laughs> no matter what university course you I know, teach, that's right, exactly, yes. The best teacher is someone who's gone through all of those things themselves. That's right. Which you yeah. have. But, but you can't teach it as a course alone. No. It's actually a relationship. That's right. It is. And I, I always remember uh, one of the guys I sat under for a while said, you always follow a leader with a limp. And, you know, someone who's been there, done it, and they've got the, the battle scars to prove <laughs> that they've been there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the greatest example of that is Jesus. He didn't ask them to do anything that he hadn't done himself. Yeah. And anything that they were going through in that pain of handing over and helping to sustain, he's yeah. done it all before. Yeah. Uh, he's been through that. And yeah. that's a really important thing too. You need people who've been through it to help you get through it. Yes. And so, yes, there are lots of models that might be used um, to identify a successor, to help to prepare them and uh, the process of handing over. And that may involve trustees and boards and oversight committees and elders, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, but one of the points of sacrificial succession is that the predecessor, if it wants to, if you want it to be a true succession in the way that we discussed it, the predecessor needs to be involved in preparing the successor. And I think the only case where that shouldn't happen is where the predecessor is a bad egg. You know, yeah. in other words, you've got to get rid of them because you don't want their fingerprints or any whiff of them. Yes. On the process. But yes. otherwise, yes. they should be involved. Yes. They should be made responsible. Yes. That's my view. That's what we do in our projects. As yeah. a predecessor, you must be responsible for preparing and handing over leadership to successors. And if you don't do that, then we're not going to keep you on because we need to find someone else who can. So this comes back to one of the things that you've said before is about the way we remunerate people and, and what's put in the contracts. Because a lot of contracts, employment contracts that I've had to sign is you've got to give two weeks notice, you know, so which means that I could rock up today, give you two weeks notice and it's all over Red Rover and the organisation is stuck. Well, what do we do now? And we've got to go out and find someone quickly and there's no transition time. That happens, yeah, that yeah. happens. And, I mean, sometimes that can't be helped, by the yes. way. You know, these yeah. things come up. But, you know, you were mentioning the sort of tenures that occur in pastoral appointments. So, in, in a sense, no matter what the tenure is, within that tenure period, whether it's three years, five years, seven years, ten years, what must be put into place are those three stages that we talked about, which is really the both the process of preparing a successor as well as the stages that you need to go through within a period of time, a term, to be able to prepare someone, the serve stage, 
to hand over the sacrifice stage and then given enough time to help to sustain them, to get them comfortable in their new role before you move on. In a sense, I doubt it can be less than three years unless someone is already prepared to be a replacement. Um, but if someone's prepared, then certainly you need to be thinking of it in a three-year period, one year for serving, one year for handing over, one year for sustaining. If it's yeah. a longer period, then you break it up practically into different chunks of time, but the same principles that those three stages are absolutely critical to sacrificial succession uh, as a process and both for it to actually work well. And that, in some ways, that brings extra cost into the organisation, but the other, like financial costs, but the other side of that coin is... How? Well, because, it, well, maybe you're bringing them on staff earlier than what you would do or something like that. I don't know. Or, or Well, I'm not sure, you know, because if you look at the cost, my experience has predominantly been working with multinational companies. Yes, yes. The cost of replacing a uh, expatriate um, director for a company is astronomically yes. expensive. And so for me... I wonder sometimes if the cost of this is actually as prohibitive as people think it, it could be. Um, it's prohibitive if you use the same mindset and remuneration package that you use with the traditional corporate model, both pastoral or, or managerial, Yes. And you make no changes to that. Yes, because then you're saying, we're not going to make any changes to this. We're just going to tack on the costs on top. Um, but if you think of that factor in the costs of someone leaving early and then having to find someone, replace them, train them, or someone hanging on too long without getting a replacement, those costs add up a lot and sometimes they actually sink the business yeah it's true <laughs> this is good uh, yeah, because uh, and the other side of that coin is if uh when their transition happens like the new leader already knows who the key players are outside the business um they, they know who their key suppliers are who their key customers are who the key staff are and and those people know them so it's kind of like okay let's keep things going and in a local church situation, it's the same thing. And and oftentimes when there's a change of pastor, people think, okay, this is my turn to go now. <laughs> so the church can decline, which has the financial implications as well. But if that transition is successful, the church probably won't decline, but will probably keep going up. Yeah. So the, the yeah. And there could be, I mean, I'm not saying there are no costs within this, but it's thinking about the, it's, and, and I mentioned this in the book, it's actually doing a cost benefit analysis. And yeah. I challenge anyone who says, well, it's far more expensive to do it this way, do a cost benefit analysis and come back to me. And then let's see yes. if really, you know, because let's just ask ourselves the question what has the cost been to, the crystal cathedral yeah 
Huge. You know, bankruptcy. Yes. What has the cost been to the political landscape in South Africa? Um, What's the cost been for people who had their mortgages with Fannie Mae and many other organisations? There's a massive cost. There's even a cost we could go into. It's like, you know, the whole election cycle in, in Australia People, business stops making decisions in the last couple of months prior to election because they don't know who's going to, like that uncertainty. And that slows the country down. And then you've got to wait till they get in and then then they make decisions to move. It, it really... Yeah. And there's also, you know, we, need, we always need to remember, we're not just talking financial capital here in terms of money. Yeah. There's also human capital. And if you look at, say, the research of um, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, Um, he very clearly indicates that where you have a good predecessor in a company or organisation, having them remain on the board in some capacity as a trustee or advisor is actually very healthy for corporate governance. Um, So he's done the research. He's actually proven that this view of someone hanging around like a bad smell, is wrong. Uh, unless, of course, the person is intrinsically bad. Yes. Uh, that's a completely different situation. Yes. Uh, you know, and there's Judas's, there, there are Judas's in the organisation. Uh, there will be. Um, I've encountered quite a few in my time. Yes. Uh, and I always pray that I won't be one. Yes, yes, yes. So, okay, so, so you actually raised this whole issue of, Jesus or even enemies, like people who would come in and say, okay, we know about the transition. We know this is going to happen. We can even, I guess, work to derail that situation. Um, yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah, we're, I mean, that's been probably one of the main um, areas of dispute or disagreement when we've been talking through or planning a transition is that, Uh, For me, it's very important to be transparent. Um, And, you know, while Judases tend to be people inside the organisation, and we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail in another session, um, who can derail you, it's also often people from outside. And as I mentioned to you, you know, you're aware that the projects where we work are predominantly in places where the the people in power do not have a lot of goodwill towards the sort of work that we do. Um, now, those people in power are not always government. Sometimes they're government. Sometimes they're religious institutions. Um, occasionally, they're competitors who use this their business power or their corporate power to undermine us or to try and destroy us. And so... Oftentimes, the view has been, we can't afford to be transparent about this because what if they know that we're going to plan a transition to local leaders? Maybe the local leaders are weak. Um, You know, we can't do that. Let's just keep it under wraps. But for me, um, I've always uh, just entrusted this to God, to the Lord. I believe that if Jesus talked about it, in a very hard and difficult situation, so should I. 
Yes, be wise. But there's a process that we need to go through to give advance notice. Otherwise, you must take out the word advanced. Yes. Just give notice. Yes. Um, and it doesn't, I don't believe for sacrificial succession, it's a viable option. You must give advance notice. And there are some really important processes that must be gone through and communications that must be made for that to happen. There's the old adage in business, communication, communicate, communicate, and you yeah. can't under-communicate or you can't over, or you can under-communicate, but you can't over-communicate. So really, actually, communicating about this process brings a lot of peace because people know this is what's happening, this is what's going on. It would actually stop a lot of back chatter and a lot of um, underlying of things. Like I know, you know, one of the organisations I worked in, there was no succession plan, even though it was very obvious that the person at the top needed to go and had stayed way too long, but people just weren't talking about it. So there was a lot of undercurrent that was taking place, almost a coup type situation that's coming in. Well, if they're not dealing with it, then we need to agitate about it. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the uh, sort of water cooler talk, um, happens anyway i mean we even look at the situation here with jesus once he brought it up then they started talking about who was the greatest yeah and he dealt with it really well by not getting one-on-one with people he always made sure that he did it in groups and that's one thing i learned um when we're talking about transition we don't get into one-on-one situations Yes. Unless there are some specific cases where we need to talk through something with someone like a potential successor. Otherwise, we talk in groups. And so I was just thinking, you know, when about this uh, topic today, how I've done that in, you know, probably half a dozen projects now. And that is that obviously from the outset, we have always had transition in mind and made that very clear that no matter how long this project goes for, we are going to transition it to a local leadership at a certain point in time. Be prepared. Don't expect anything less. How it ends, we already talked about that. We may stop it completely if that's the decision or we may help it to continue through successes. And so... I have actually written a transition uh, plan and process into our standard operating procedures. So in other words, all of the people that are involved with us know broadly how, what will happen. Obviously we have the paradigm, the sacrificial succession paradigm and principles that we're talking about here through these podcasts. They also have access to that. And then in practical terms, usually about three or four years out from the actual handover, I write a, usually it's me if I'm the leader or if someone else is leading it, a formal letter is written, you know, with the um, directors or whoever the, the, the highest authority is with their signature on it saying, you know, please be aware that at such and such a time, during this year, we will have completed the process of transition. And over the next three years, these are the milestones 
that we will be looking at. And then that letter, essentially, <laughs> excuse me, it activates it, essentially, activates the transition. And from that point on, we start to communicate. So where, for example, we can travel, in most cases, um, I, I would travel and meet with people face-to-face. -face, uh, and that would be you meet with the top leadership and trustees or board in country where that project runs. Then you meet with the current management and leadership. You meet with the potential successors and future leaders. And then um, together with that, those levels of leadership, you actually have face-to-face -face meetings with all of the uh, company uh, staff or the organization's people, if it's in the context of a church, with all of the church members. What I did was, was meet, we, we met th thousands of people to personally communicate. I personally communicated. It was then translated. Um, we put stuff in writing, back translated it to make sure that the message was clear. Talk to people, sat down, hundreds and hundreds of lunches, sitting down with people and asking, is this clear? Did what so-and-so said to you in your language, did you understand that? Spending time with the group separately, um, always involving those in the leadership so that, uh, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people who don't agree, yeah. but that there was no one who said, I don't understand what's going on here. I can't make out what you're talking about. It was communicated very, very clearly, you know, and, and one of the verses that always inspires me there is Habakkuk 2 verse 2, where God says, write down the vision clearly so that those who read it can run with it. We don't want them to trip over. We want them to be able to run with it. And so that's a huge um, part of the transition process is giving this advance notice in all the different forms that are perhaps most culturally appropriate. But one thing I've always done is meet face-to-face -face around often a meal rather than a, but also formal boardroom situations where we talk through everything um, and so that people understand clearly my role in this is to do this. You know, if I'm a current manager, my role is to prepare successes. My role is to help communicate to the next generation of leaders what's going to happen and what their responsibility is in this particular process. So, Paul, that whole process builds relationship, doesn't it? It builds community. It brings everyone together on the same page. There's a lot of time and effort and energy, but the payoff is huge. Yeah, and it, it's not always pleasant. No. Um, no. <laughs> like, like let's, let's be very clear here. They're hard conversations to have. Yes. Especially when the predecessors don't feel ready to receive the mantle of leadership and the predecessors don't feel ready to hand it over. Yeah, yes. But at least there's no 
question about the process, even if there's some disagreement about when it should be done or, you know. But at least then you're in an environment where you can sit down and talk about it and to work out those issues. And we do. That's absolutely critical is to sit down and talk with people, you know, face to face if you can. If, it, yeah. if you can't, then it's on, on Zoom or right. on some, you know, a yeah. phone call. But, but for me, I find that, and, and in different environments, if it's possible, around a meal table is a really important place sometimes to talk through some difficult things, um, especially when it affects, you know, that person personally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. You know, um, people have to, in some cases, go back to their home country. In other cases, we have to terminate their contracts or, or finish, you know, their time. None of these are easy conversations to have, but we've seen time and time again, despite the difficulty of these conversations, that you're 100% right. Um, I, I can't think of any situation where we've work, walked away um, you know, s- sort of with any really like bad blood yeah. or, or, or a worse relationship, uh, it's always been better despite being sad uh, and in, in some cases disappointing. Um, at least it's clear what we're going to do. I, I guess the other thing too, Paul, is if you're talking about succession from the moment of appointment, really, with someone so you're giving them even even them giving them an advance notice to say okay you may be in this role for whatever period of time is going to be but right from the start you need to know that you've got to have a succession plan in place yeah and a successor in mind as things yeah. move along yeah. someone that you're preparing and you're actually reporting back on that yes. you know so that's when you're talking about it and it's not just a theory but you're actually talking about it. You know, I'm talking with a, a group of guys in China and we're now down to the who. Yes. Yes. Who's on your list? Okay. That's when the rubber hits the road. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's good. Well, some great stuff today, Paul. I loved our banter today. <laughs> it's good. But, but it just, it just shows you that this is, this is, it's it's not straightforward. It's not easy, but there is a process to follow. Um, giving people advance notice, communicating about it. Yes, there are going to be some Judases um, and maybe some Peters in there as well, and we'll talk about that later on. But working together through this, and in the end, it, it's both the person grows and the organisation grows, and and the outcome of whatever it is, whether it's a ministry or a business you're trying to do actually flourishes it does and the thing to remember is it's the relationship between the predecessors and the successors that actually becomes stronger despite the challenge of this and you know what i would encourage people to do is if you don't read anything else read again matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 18 because i think that jesus just shows there he handles this advance notice thing really well yes um perfectly yeah and he's our example to follow after all yeah 
Well, thank you so much, Paul. I look forward to episode 10 next week. Thanks, Wes.